94. Of UConn 360. That's the only podcast known to science that covers the University of Connecticut from every conceivable angle. My name is Tom Breen. I'm your facilitator of sorts. And joining me in person for the first time in quite some time is my colleague, Julie Bartuka. Julie, how are you? I'm sitting right across the table from you. It's weird. And we're failing miserably at using our sound equipment. We, we have a we have a exciting new sound gear here, and I'm confident that this is being recorded. We hope. We hope. No one may ever hear this. That's not true. Everyone's going to hear it. The whole wide world is going to hear this. We have a, a, a very interesting guest who's going to talk about an, an issue that uh, everyone is thinking about right now and her own experiences. But before we meet her, we've got some headlines. I just wanted to share Nicole Hannah-Jones, the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist behind the 1619 Project, was here at UConn yesterday as we're recording this, and it was excellent. I watched the live stream. She spoke on a range of topics. She was interviewed by Manisha Sinha, who is a past podcast guest, and there is no recording of that, but you can read all about it on UConn Today. So I just wanted to point people there. Yes. You should you should be reading UConn Today constantly anyway. <laughs> Obviously. As I'm sure everyone does. All right. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, we are now in, in full swing for commencement. So speaking of UConn Today, watch UConn Today. Throughout the month of April, we're going to have stories about students who are going to be receiving their degrees, but who have very interesting personal stories to go along with that. Great job with that every year, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, you and our team. Our well, yeah, team I, I, don't, I don't really do much. I just send emails. Um, <laughs> well, now let's get to the main event. Yes, please. Uh, and we're going to meet uh, our guest, who is uh, a student from Shelton, Connecticut, double majoring in molecular and cell biology and psychology. Uh, she's an active member of the UConn community, contributing to club sports, undergraduate research, and the honors program. Uh, she's a first-generation Ukrainian-American, and her passion for her heritage has been showcased by, among other things, serving as the current president of the Ukrainian Student Association. Victoria Kostor, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, and, and before we, we get into talking about the situation in Ukraine, if you could tell us about how you came to be a UConn student. Yeah, sure. So I am from Shelton, Connecticut, and I never really imagined myself at UConn, just because that was like the place that everyone went to. But it just turned out that this was kind of the place for me, and I felt that the community here was really welcoming, and I really liked all the opportunities that UConn was um, able to bring. So that's kind of how I ended up here. That's fantastic. And it sounds like you, you really found your place here with sports and the research and the Ukrainian Student Association. Could you tell us a bit about the Ukrainian Student Association? It's actually kind of an interesting story of how I came into that as well. We had the club organized, I think the it was created in, in 2012 by a group of students who just wanted to bring together Ukrainian Americans and Ukrainian students who were attending UConn because there is quite a quite a decent population of, of Ukrainians that are in Connecticut. And so when when I and my vice president currently, Christine Sherboom, came to UConn, we both were involved in the Ukrainian community at home. We both attended Ukrainian school when we were younger and during our primary education. And so we really wanted a way to be involved. And so I came across the Ukrainian Student Association. We were both actually a little disappointed at the kind of engagement that was here that we met only once or twice the first fall semester that I was here and none at all in the spring semester. Hmm. So we really decided that we wanted to take the the community and, and broaden it and be able to be more engaged with the community here and bring students together more often. So we took upon leadership positions and then 
I'm really proud to say I feel like that's one of my greatest achievements is getting that community back up and running and having those consistent meetings and having all those events. And especially in a time like now, I couldn't imagine not having this strong community for students to rely on. How uh, many members do you have and what are some of the events and kind of traditions that you've established in the association? We have a lot of students on our email list just to keep updated about our events. We're not really strict about commitments or anything, but I would say there's a good 20 members now who consistently participate. And some events that we like to host, one of the ones that I was glad that we were able to do last semester was painting the spirit rock oh, cool. and being able to display our Ukrainian flag. This was something that was postponed and postponed because of the weather. And so oh, we, yeah. and that, that was pre pandemic. So then we were able to finally come together post pandemic all in person and be able to paint them on teeth rock because of the spirit rock being not revealed yet. Some other things we like to do is to come together and eat traditional foods together, like order pierogi from local places. Nice. And Are there be- good pierogies around here? Usually. Pierogi. Yeah, usually we have students bring some from home. And so they kind of know their their go-to people. And so they, they're able to go home and then deliver them here. Besides that, we just like to have like game nights and, and just discuss different aspects of our culture, important writers, and important historical movements, and just come together and, and talk about that. I mean, obviously, for the last six weeks or so, the Ukraine's been in the forefront of everybody's consciousness. Could you talk about what's that been like for you and kind of how you felt when you when it started to look like there was actually going to be a war? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think for me, I you know knew that there was tensions rising and and this these tensions have been going on since 2014, really. And I knew that starting back in February that these these tensions were rising. And I really tried to not engage with um, the news and and not have it be at the forefront of my mind. But it was quite interesting because I was trying to put together materials actually for our for our club. And I came across the headline that the Russians invaded Ukraine. And that was just such a shock to me. I didn't really believe that something like that could happen. And I really didn't understand the implications of it. And so... I was really thankful that we were actually were planning to host a, a club meeting that day. Hmm. So we were able to meet with students and just come together. And we had someone even graciously order pizza for us just to come together and stand in solidarity with each other and just lean on each other for that support. And I think, you know, going past that in what developed after that, it's been quite difficult to consume a lot of the information. And especially being a student, there's so much that I want to do for my community and so many initiatives that we're leading now. But it's really hard to balance everything. I'm also in the middle of graduate school interviews, too. So it's just all these factors are compounding. And it's just a very prominent thing in my mind. I, I always go back to this, this imagery of that every time I blink, I see that blue and yellow of our of our Ukrainian flag and just because of all the protests that have been going on and all the the content I've been consuming on social media those colors have been so bold in my mind and and really ingrained in the back of my head so it it's really hard sometimes to not to not go on that kind of doom scrolling through social media and it's the first thing I think when I wake up and the last thing I think when I 
go to sleep. And so sometimes it's really hard to establish those boundaries. And I've, I've been losing sleep over it. And, and really, it's been quite emotionally draining, as I'm sure it has been for even people who are not Ukrainian or have any ancestry. What's the response of, of UConn been like? I know there was a vigil where you spoke and the president was there too and some faculty members. And I believe there was a student demonstration very early on too. Was that the Ukrainian Student yes, Association? Yes, it was. Oh, right. yeah. And you know, around campus, you can see the, the blue and yellow ribbons around trees and things we like that, that too. too. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so what's, what's been the response um, from the UConn community? Yeah, I think we I think we were a bit disappointed at the delay of, of a statement from the university. But obviously, this has been just a shock for everyone and kind of navigating that. President Marek did put out a statement that UConn stands in solidarity with Ukraine and supports its students. I don't think we've had any really guidelines with navigating resources at UConn, like mental health services mm-hmm. or academic accommodations. But I think this was something that students haven't really had a problem with. I know me personally, my professors are very understanding with the situation, and I've just been able to directly reach out to them to have accommodations be made with deadlines that I'm I'm struggling to meet. And then, yeah, and then I was very happy that we had the vigil and had that UConn community come together in order to support Ukraine and have people speak. We had Associate Professor of Human Rights there, as well as the head of radiology at UConn Health. It was really great to see all these different people come together from different branches of the UConn community in order to support. So yeah, so that's just been what I've what I've known from the university standpoint, but I feel that a lot of the initiatives have been coming from us. So I was going to ask you, what are some of the initiatives? I know you and some of the others have family members over there, so you you really know people who need this help. And what are the things that you're leading on campus? I think the earliest initiative we did was that student protest and 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 rallying student voices. I think it was really beneficial to see students be able to take turns just to tell their stories, tell what impact this has had on them during that demonstration. Something else we did was partner with the Slavic Cultural Society, raising over $3,000 for Ukrainian paramedics. Oh, wow. So there's a group that we found through Facebook, and we were able to donate that directly to them. And so, yeah, and then besides that, our most recent initiative was collecting medical supplies. So we had donation bins in the library and different dining halls. We were collecting things like medications, like over-the-counter medications such as Advil and, and bandages and things like that. We're going to be packaging those up now and sending them through a shipping service called Mies that has discounted rates now to get those to organizations that are helping out directly in the front lines of Ukraine. It's been really overwhelming to see how many people are willing to support and willing to contribute. We've gotten an overwhelming amount of donations, more than we anticipated. And I think it really shows that people are willing to help. We just have to have the avenues for them to be able to do so. Besides that, I think another thing is just being there for our community members. I know we're organizing things just as like group activities and, and having dinners together just to be able to rely on each other in, in, this, in this hard time and have that space, that safe space for students to um, express their, their anguish and their frustrations. I know even there's been support from Yukon Library. They have a display now out in Homer Babbage and people put together resources for us and, and documentation for students to learn more about the history of Ukraine and where these kind of tensions arise from. 
there's a lot that we've been doing, but I feel that, you know, it, it doesn't stop here. One of the criticisms that um, you hear about Americans, I think that does have some merit is that often Americans are kind of inward looking and don't know much about what's happening. Has it been strange to go, you know, from I imagine most people who are not Ukrainian American don't know much about Ukraine or didn't know much about Ukraine. And now I can think of in my neighborhood in Manchester, it's like four or five houses have Ukrainian flags out Mm. now. And everyone's talking about it. And everyone's kind of thinking about it. Has it been strange to kind of go from suddenly people are are asking you questions or, or, you know, talking about things that you've spent your whole life knowing about and sort of now that Ukraine is at the forefront of everyone's consciousness? Yeah, it, that's a good point. It, it really has been. And I think what really struck me is seeing those Ukrainian colors and those flags everywhere, even just going on the highway and seeing I was I was traveling through New Haven and they and they had the oil rigs and they had just a, the American flag and then the Ukrainian flag up there. And that was just really strange for me because it was it was like I was in Ukraine, <laughs> like going back yeah. in Ukraine and, and and visiting there. And so I think that that has been strange, but also very heartwarming to see the overwhelming support and be able to see that, you know, our voices aren't being completely silenced and that there is a platform for us to use and that people have been using their own voices to to stand up for those that may not be able to express their uh, stories and, and just raise those Ukrainian voices. For me, I didn't realize, you know, how much context is required to fully understand the situation because I kind of grew up with with this history and going to Ukrainian school, you know, we learned about all the oppression that Ukrainians had even during this, the under the Soviet Union. And that's my parents' firsthand mm-hmm. experience. And so I think that it's very interesting to see how much that context has really played into what I know about the situation obviously was a shock, but it's not a total surprise that the events have developed in this way. But for some, I think that not understanding that it might be like, what, why is this going on? You know, what is, what does Russian government want? That's also been an interesting point to reflect on. Yeah. Have you noticed that suddenly overnight, there's a, a million new experts on Ukraine? <laughs> of course. And yeah. Russia, Anything yeah. else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You were talking about elevating voices. What are some things that you want people listening to this to take away? I think that, firstly, just looking at the situation currently, it's really just been very detrimental to people's lives. And, you know, even just just think about being in your own hometown and having your whole life disrupted. You know, you can't go to work anymore. You can't go to school anymore because those buildings are destroyed. There's nowhere to go. You know, you're you're sitting in a bomb shelter, you see your hometown school, maybe a place where you had your first kiss or you went every day on Sunday to get ice cream with your parents and just seeing like that those places completely destroyed or or gunshots in, in the side of those walls. I think that's really important to articulate that this is such a big humanitarian crisis and this is a really pivotal point in history that this war is is really impactful and and i think currently now the estimates are up to 10 million ukrainians are are being displaced either with internally or externally and you know all these people had to leave behind all they ever knew and this is something that's happening in the 21st century it's you know it's just a reflection of world wars which we thought are so mm-hmm. um embedded in our past and i think another point just to connotate is that the 
Russian government has oppressing Ukrainian voices for a very long time. Under Stalin's uh, Soviet Union, there was a famine genocide that was man-made that was created. And the estimates are four to seven million Ukrainians that died of just starvation. And that was back in 1913, 1914. And then besides that, there something I've learned throughout Ukrainian history is is just having those Ukrainian nationalists or Ukrainian writers, poets, anyone that wanted to use a Ukrainian language were oppressed during that Soviet Union era. That just shows you that it was a direct uh, attack on Ukrainians and the Ukrainian language and the Ukrainian culture. So that was very intentional. And so I think it's important to realize that this oppression has been going on for so long, and that's why the Ukrainians have such strength and are are fighting so resiliently because they know what it is to live under those Russian rulers and they know what that means and they will never go back to that. Are there any resources you recommend for people who want to know more, whether it's, you mentioned writers, but you know, or social media accounts, news sources, things like that? Yeah. A few I can think of off the top of my head is a news outlet is Kyiv Independent, spelled K-Y-I-V, Independent. That's an independent news source that has been covering the events recently and has been getting a lot of details from the front lines. And they also have a really great social media presence as well. One social media account that I like to follow because it has a good uh, summary of all the different events that happen in relation to Ukraine, you know, even like what celebrities have been speaking out is ukraine.ua on instagram so that's something that i i like to follow just because it it's a good basis to find other resources you know social media is definitely a good place to to see those even for the yukon community though our organization's instagram is usa underscore yukon so we repost a lot of things to our feed and also our story for resources that people can utilize. And so I think that that's also a good way to to stay updated. Great. I hope that you're doing okay and that your family is okay. And, you know, I'm really glad that you have this community here that's that's supporting each other too. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah. And thank you so much for making time for this. I know that this is a really busy time of year for a graduating senior. So I really do appreciate you making the time. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you guys for having me and uh, being a part of this in-person experience as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's been really great. And I, I appreciate you, you know, kind of raising voices like mine in order to spread this information because it is really important. So thank you. Well, that was great. That was awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool to see students that get involved and, and, you know, very serious international issues like absolutely that. yeah well now let's let's keep up the serious issues as we head over to tom's snow shelf that's what they call that <laughs> that's what they call that strip of grass the, yeah between the, the sidewalk and, i don't i don't understand like what the problem was with corner like a corner can be small a corner can be big i feel like it's that's setting expectations i can no longer meet you're not no expectations tom <laughs> boy have i heard that before <laughs> <laughs> the bar is really low. <laughs> Remember when I took over the history corner? You're fine. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? We got a lot of listeners for that episode. Yes, we did. And subsequent episodes. <laughs> um, so I want to take us back to February the 21st, 1973. That's a Wednesday. And I want to read a daily campus story. This was an uh, occupation of Gully Hall by mm-hmm. protesters. I've got quite a few of those back in the day. Yes. And this one was, this. I don't know if this was the 
the direct leading cause, but this was the first occupation of Gully Hall where students were demanding the establishment of a women's studies program. There had been a, a women's center had been recently established, but there was no women's uh, studies program. And they also uh, demanded a university funded community controlled free daycare center. They also demanded equal funds for women's and men's physical education program and equal access to facilities. I think this is pre title nine. And so this was mm-hmm. still when that was a big, big issue where there wasn't much at all for women. Was this daycare center being demanded for students to use? It doesn't. Or faculty. It, or? it doesn't say. It's just community controlled. There so. is not still not one of those. We do here. not have free daycare. <laughs> we, we do not have. Fortunately, so maybe these these students from fifty years ago could come and come back to a sit in for me, please. It, Thank it, you. It's kind of a classic student occupation story because the president was not in Gully Hall when they showed of up. Of course. I think I told you about the story when I was a student, and we we occupied Gully Hall. I don't recall. Can you remind me? Remind all of us. Remind all. Remind us, us listeners. We we were called the Student Labor Action Coalition, or SLAC, which was a mistake. And um, <laughs> we wanted UConn to join a, something called the Workers' Rights Consortium to monitor the uh, manufacture of our apparel, which we later did. Yes, yes. Well, some of us thought that a sit-in at Gully Hall and occupation was the best way to do it. But one member of the group got the date wrong. <sighs> so he you sh- have told us. So he showed up at Gully Hall and he was sitting on the couch. And this was when uh, Phil Austin was the president oh and, and his assistant was there. And she said, can I get you some coffee? Gonna... <laughs> and he's like, oh, my friends are going to be here soon. And we, we didn't show up because it was supposed to be two days oh, later. Oh, my gosh. So the president was not there no. that day, but he was there when you all came back? He, he met us. He agreed to meet us. Okay. He's like, you don't have to occupy you my office. You don't have to do a sit-in. We can just talk. Happy to. Happy to. <laughs> we, we met at Towers. And then these demonstrators, way back in 1973, they were told to disperse by UConn Public Safety. And eventually they did because they were threatened with criminal trespass. I will also say that there's some really fun ads on this. And there's a restaurant uh, that I'm fascinated with and I want to know more about it. It was called Blood and Bones. You've told me this or you've showed me this. I need yeah. to see. Hold on. We're in the same room so I can see this. Blood and blood bones. Blood and bones. There's not much information here. No, it's such a great name for us. Round the clock. They're open round the clock on weekends. BYOB, blood and bones. That's a terrible name for a restaurant. It's a great name for a restaurant. It's a, a good restaurant. name for a bar. We've got to be able to find out where that used to be. If you remember University blood and bones, the, the restaurant, not the the actual blood and bones. If you remember blood and bones, please get in touch with us at Yukon podcast on Twitter. Cause we want to know all about what went on in blood and bones. Blood and bones. I only recognize one name of, Oh no, I don't even recognize that name. I thought I recognized one of the bands playing at Shabu, but no. Stony Creek is a, a brewery and a section of Branford, not a band that I was thinking of Max Creek, maybe Oh, Nickel yeah, sure. Creek, Max Creek. There's a couple of those. Go fly a kite, but buy it at University Pharmacy, home of the pill. That's edgy. So is is kite a euphemism for something? Probably. I would guess. If If it's home of the pill and they're using that in their ad. Presumably, if you know what blood and bones was, you will know what that that reference means. Please tell us that. University Pharmacy. This is the the podcast now. We just read old (laughs) ads from the Daily Campus. Tune in every other. Tune in. Hope you enjoy it. I want okay. I want to know more about. I've taken over. The, uh, uh, so the now, it's, now it's Julie's history snow shelf. No, it's not my snow shelf. A larger demonstration is planned. These are really hip looking women, though. I will say that. So, what did they get? You didn't. I feel like you didn't finish the story. They uh, dispersed. Did anything happen? Or are we only? This is only the. Beginning? This is the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Also, I didn't want to call out the writer. You know, because he was a student, nineteen seventy three. But I had to read like pretty far into it to see what <laughs> these demonstrators actually wanted. <laughs> I think that's a. Student student journalist, 
problem is is thinking that you know yeah right everybody knows what this is about. everybody knows what's going on exactly yeah. yeah you have to you have to repeat it every time i'm also surprised that we had a women's center prior to having a women's studies program but i guess women's studies as an academic discipline may have not really been yeah. established and there were soon. there was sort of a um as we we talked about with fani starting it with the african-american cultural center there was a lot of centers being founded around this time so yep um yeah, so very interesting. And if you know more about the how the women's studies program, who's, sorry, who's the president? Oh, this was, is was, an associate provost. It was acting president, interim president Gant. Gant of of Gant. Gant Science Complex yep. fame. Yep. I mean, they didn't name it after him. Then that'd be pretty weird. I know, obviously. It'd be like, <laughs> I would love to walk by a building named for me every day. It's like it's a great. like the West Virginia Senator Robert Seabird. Like everything in the state was named after him when he was still alive. That's weird. He was quite a character. Um. Yeah, so that was it's a little bit of a unrest from the past. I I bought a stack of old daily campuses at the Mansfield Flea Market. So get ready, everyone. I would highly recommend going to the Mansfield Flea Market if you are able. You never know what you're going to find there. I'm sorry. What is that about? I so I think that is because speaking of things that were founded, the police department is about fifty years old. Oh. So my guess is they were introducing the new police because before that we didn't have police. We had like security guards. So there was a student senate meeting to introduce the, the actual university police and the advertisement in the daily campus says cops. They ain't what they used to be. Yeah. And you think that is to introduce the police? It was the 70s. Yeah. Everybody's groovy. Feeling groovy. Everyone's far out. All right. I think we need to wrap this up. Yeah. If if you if you like what you heard, and how could you not? <laughs> you can you can find us on the internet every other Wednesday. You can also find us on Twitter at UConn Podcast. And please tell us what it means to go fly a kite. 